0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, I'm Judith Fallon-Reed, and welcome to Shelf Life TV, where I have great conversations with Caribbean authors about their lives and books. If you have yet subscribed to this podcast, please do so. You'll always know when new episodes are available. The video of this episode is available also on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel and check out my website at jfallonreed.com. Also, check out my other podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. Now it's time to share what's on my shelf. Welcome again to Shelf Life, and today my guest is Dr. Suzanne Morrison-William, and she is an author, an educator, she's a life coach, she's the owner of Dr. Sue Speaks, LLC, which is a leadership management and empowerment organization. Dr. Morrison-Williams serves as Vice President of the Academic Affairs at City College in Florida, and she has a long list of accolades to her name. But most importantly, she's here today because she's the author of Boss Ladyship, (laughs) Call Me a Boss Lady. And we're going to talk to her about what that book means, what it means to be a boss lady. Join me. Hi, Suzanne, and welcome to Shelf Life. So good to have you with me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So you're an educator for over 20 years, I told my audience before we started. And that you really didn't plan to be a teacher. <laughs> that, was not, mm-hmm. that was not your plan. It's mm-hmm. kind of how you ended up. Yes. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about who you are, your background. And we have a big joke about the who you are <laughs> thing. Tell us <laughs> a little bit about that, your background, how you grew up, where you grew up, all of that, before we even get into talking about the book.
1: Okay. Well, I define myself based on my audience. So whoever my audience is, I am very, very much like a chameleon and I will morph depending on who I'm talking to. So if I'm talking to um, my fellow Jamaicans and they ask me who I am, I understand that that has a very, very different meaning. Mm-hmm. You want to know where you went to high school, who is your mother and your father, and <laughs> where you went to church. Those are yeah. the things that become apparent um, when I talk about it from that perspective. So when people ask me who I am, it, particularly in light of Jamaicans.com, um, I tell people that you know um, I'm an upper St. Andrew girl, Um, you don't hear quite as much anymore. I don't quite have the opposite Andrew. Yes. I don't quite have the opposite Andrew role anymore because I've lived here for so long, but, um, I went to Mona prep, um, very proud Mona prep, um, girl. And then I went to immaculate and my mother and sister had many grievances for the five years that I was there. And so she vowed, I was never stepping foot back after I graduated. And so I went to St. Andrew, St. Andrew, high school for girls. Which is where i did um sixth form and then i thought i was coming to foreign to go to school and my mother said no 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 you need a skill and so she sent me to alpha business and so i went to alpha business and so i am a trained secretary um and so best decision ever so i came to college a little bit later than most people most people left straight after sixth form and came to college at 18. Mm -hmm. i didn't come to college till i was almost 20 but i was in much better stead because i came here with a skill i went to college i worked as a secretary so i was always a person that was at the front desk. I could. I knew how to type. I knew how to take shorthand. I knew how to answer a switchboard. So I, I came into to um, and I was work. I went to FIU, worked at FIU for okay. many many years. Um, so I came here and almost immediately started a life in education because not only was I going to college, I was working at the college. So I understood how colleges worked because right. I had been there. So and apparently I had trauma and never left. Um, so I'm still in the field of education. So. <laughs> It, that's kind of who I am. When people ask me, um, uh, when other educators ask me who I am, I explain to them that I, I entered education by accident um, because right. a mutual friend of ours, um, he was working in the internet industry and he, I like to write and I write fairly well and I write um, process documents fairly right. well, which being an educator makes sense. So I started working with him on marketing proposals for potential customers. And so that he said to me, you have a knack for this. And so I got into internet marketing. And because I was in internet marketing, when he started working at the art institute of Fort Lauderdale, he dragged me there with him. And that part-time gig ended up with me staying there for 10 and a half years. I started as an adjunct faculty. When I left AI, I was the associate dean. Okay. Uh, So I had gone through the full arc. of of being there. So when people ask me who I am, I am a true educator. Um, I discovered a love for teaching. And so I'm, you know, frustrated if I'm not able to teach. Uh, And so that's kind of who I am as an educator. If people ask me who I am as an individual, I consider myself a mentor and a coach. And that Mm -hmm. came out of that kind of evolved out of teaching, because as a teacher, you're always coaching students. And then I realized I had to coach faculty. So I and I one day I got up and realized I had coached a significant number of people into positions of management and leadership, and I didn't realize it was happening. It was very organic, right? And so that so you know when people ask me who I am, I said I'm multifaceted, and I think yeah. that is something that um, I advocate for women as well, because I'm a huge advocate for women. For women, and I always tell women you are not a one-dimensional. Oh no, no, not at all. I I spend a lot
0: of, I spend a lot of my time doing the same
1: thing. Exactly. And And you have to, and you have to embrace all those pieces of yourself. And now, you know, I'm, I'm at a place in my life now where I'm thinking, do I stay with this or do I branch off? And, you know, when you talk to gurus, um, they always tell you, you know, where you have to, you have to create your niche and I'm like, that's hard because when you are good at many things or when you enjoy many things, then where do you go? It's like, you know, when I started a coaching business, um, they were like, well, you have to find a specific area. And I'm like, that doesn't work for me because I have been coaching women and students for years. I do that. Um, I have worked extensively with organizations Mm -hmm. um, coaching their leaders. And so, no, I can actually do it all.
0: You Um, actually can do it all. I have proven that you can do it all. I um, like you are multifaceted. And for people who know me, again, like you, I am who I am based on who I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. If I'm in the art circle, I could be a filmmaker, which I am. I could be a poet, which I am. I could be an author, which I am. Um, If I'm in the education circles, I could be a teacher. So depending on who I'm talking to and where I am, that determines who I am. Um, I, I do training as well. So for some people, they know me in that capacity. Exactly. I I mentor young people. I'm a coach. So it depends. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to pigeonhole yourself that, you know, the days where women were expected to do one thing. And I remember disappointing my father terribly because one of my sisters was a banker and she came out of school and she went to school for banking and look at her great career. And I'm thinking, yeah, great career, but look at the life I've had, you know,
1: And I, and I think that is what um, I have emerged. The last year has been a huge growth experience for me. Uh, the book is just part of the growth experience. And the book came out of a personal life change. And one of the things that I also do a, you know Instagram live. So I talk about right. a lot more personal things on my Instagram uh, live. Because I think it's essential for other people to connect with the shifts and changes that happen with us individually so that other people can, can glow up. And, um, and I think that's the piece that's missing. So that's how I, I can mentor people individually. I sometimes think that my life sometimes is a path for other people to get to where they need to get to. And the, okay. last, year, and the last year has been very, very interesting for me because I, I went through um, and the end of a, a 19 year marriage. And it's that that made me realize if this piece of your life is over, OK, then where are you going now? Yes. And everybody expected me to be lying down in a ball on the floor cr- crying. And I said, well, first of all, I have a job and I have a son to raise. <laughs> so If I'm going to have a nervous breakdown, I can have the nervous breakdown later. And I told everybody, including my pastor, he's like, how are you? I said, look, I said, here's the deal. Pastor this out. I don't have time to have a nervous breakdown yes. right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, my son is in his senior year of high school, and I have to make sure that he's happy, healthy and whole and do all of that. And then I have to get him off to college. And so when I've done that and he's away, I can break breakdown, So I said, I will pencil it in for February of 2022. No, I, I don't have time for that right now. And that is also, and I realized that he was kind of taken aback. And I also realized there's a cultural thing with that as well, because we yes. women of color realize that we have to schedule nervous breakdowns yes we do we can't just we can't just get up and have a nervous oh, breakdown oh. and you i look know. at other women of other cultures and i'm like yeah we can not do that mm-hmm. no we can't do that we have to we have to schedule our breakdown yes, we have that's to, not, yeah. i'm so because glad that is your not, ministry
0: yeah we have ministry. too
1: many things to do exactly and too um much
0: going on and and too much
1: and too much riding on our shoulders we understand all of the cultural pieces that are riding on our shoulders we understand that our success is not just our success Mm -hmm. it is the success of everybody else and that is something that I always try to explain to other women you know other women because they don't get it and so when I wrote the book um it was interesting it was a white Jamaican was also an author who had seen her publish the book and we went to high school together and she had mm-hmm. come and she goes, Sue, do me a favor. Can you buy my book? And I'm like, oh, of course. I said that's what we women do. We support that's other good. women. Um, I'm not in the field. Um, I've not read the book cover to cover. I did, you know, the college read, you read the first chapter. <laughs> You read the first, and you read the first couple paragraphs of each chapter and the ending, so you know what happened. So by the yeah. time you finish the book, you are conversant with what. Yeah, you, and did you can have an intelligent you can conversation. Have a good conversation, but don't you can't really say you've read the book per se. <laughs> um, but I called her and spoke to her about what I wanted to do, and she said to me, "No, no, no, Sue, that's not the book you're going to write." Because I was just going to write a book about women who are transitioning from being in their forties to their fifties, because I turned fifty last year and what that means, Mm -hmm. and all the changes. And she went, "Mm no, 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 she goes, that's the second book. The first book you need to write is, she goes, look at your life, and -hmm. look at where you are. She goes, look at the changes that are going on. That's making you write this book. She goes, it is the shift in your personal life that has now focused you, has given made you laser focused on writing this book. So she goes, what? Did, she says, you are, a, uh, she says, you are a vice president. You are a leader. You own a company. She goes, that's what you need to talk about. You need to talk about how women of color can do what you did. And I just started laughing hysterically because that is exactly where my doctorate ended. My doctorate was about. Mentorship and Black slash African American women. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other discussion that I had to fight with when I explained to them I needed to do both. And they said to me, It's the same thing. I said, No, it's not. I am Black. I'm not African American. Uh, yeah. And they were like, And my, you know, speaking to these people um, of other races who are trying to tell me what I am. And okay. I found that was a conversation that I said, You cannot define who I am. I will tell you who I am and you need to accept it. So that's a whole other thing. But the book ended exactly where that, where my dissertation ended. And I said, if this is not karma, I don't know what else is. Because <laughs> the last chapter in my dissertation says, this is what we do. We pick up and and create a blueprint for how women get to leadership. Right. So, well, when well, said it okay. on, so let us back up then, because you've gone, yeah. the gone to the end of the book now.
0: Let's <laughs> back up a little bit yeah. and go to the beginning of the book. Yeah, Right, so your book is all about boss leadership. Mm -hmm. (laughs) boss lady being the boss lady and um when I first saw the book and first saw the title of the book I figured it was about boss lady in terms of work business Mm -hmm. but it's just about being the boss lady period of your life yeah being in charge of your own life being in charge of who you are and being your own boss of your own life Yes. And, and this does not preclude you being married or being in anything. It's just about owning your own life. But I want to go back to something that was at the very beginning of your book, which struck me really, really um, strongly. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think really resonated with me because I've heard this conversation so many times and I've seen this conversation. So seen this conversation so many times when you talked about learning and realizing and somebody pointing out to you that the darker skinned children were the ones who were left with the chores at school to do. Talk about that revelation in your life and what that meant for you. What was that story? You Let me not tell the story. You tell the story okay. of that and how that changed your life.
1: And interestingly, I don't remember that story so much as it being told to me by my mother and so I remember that story through the prism of her pain. Mm-hmm. And my mother's history is that both of my grandparents are dark skinned like I am. Right. My mother is lighter hued like you. So she was always she was always called the fair one. Mm. so there was always a distinct. so my mother grew up seeing knowing she was different no she looked just like her mother thank thank jesus that she looked like the family so it's not that i can't could say and the kids all look alike but you know how right. we are in jamaica you don't know what you're going to get you have you put two yeah. people together and we are we are all in heinz variety so you never know what the mixture is going to come out with right. and so apparently the way the story goes because i was about five, six when this was happening so my recollection of it is Slightly different. My recollection was I was given a a position of prestige because the teacher was asking me to do things. And as a small child, when the teacher is asking to do things, you're just doing what the teacher asked you to do. Now, interestingly, I did not like Mrs. Packer very much, didn't really like her. Um, That I remember. Um, She looked, she was not, she had a look that was not appealing. And I think it had something to do with the way she looked. You know, children are very weird about how they perceive people. So there was I had an issue with the way she looked. She wasn't warm, but she was the teacher and she asked me to do something. And so I was I went ahead and did it. And I remember um, my mother coming, coming up and having a conversation with the teacher and then my never cleaning the board or having any chores to do after that. And I didn't know what happened. Um, And it was years, years later. I think I may have been in high school when my mom actually shared what what actually happened. And I didn't ask, we're just having a conversation. And it came out and she goes, yeah, you know, she said sometimes these people, you know, like to behave as if we're unaware of the things that they do or when they're treating people unfairly. And then she shared the story, just like when you were in grade three and you know the teacher um, always had you and all of the other dark-skinned children um, cleaning the board. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah. She goes, you didn't realize? I said, mommy, I was six. No, racism was not really a thing that I understood at six,
0: uh-huh.
1: but that s- stayed with me. Um, because I understood the pain it caused my mother. I didn't really understand the pain for myself, but I understood the pain that it caused my mother. And that became a building block of my life. And so I understood that the way I looked was going to be an issue for some people. And that my, my mere existence as a person and a woman of color was going to be a problem. So when I moved here, Uh, I was aware of that. And I remember a conversation when I was coming to going to go to FIU and I was having a conversation with the director of of minority student services and coming from Jamaica. The fact that that was even a department (laughs) was also a very eye opening experience. And he said something to me that. another eye-opening experience, he goes, you are going to have a very different experience from the typical Black person here. He says, you come from a country where you're not a minority. He said, you are the majority where you come from. And he says, nobody has ever told you that you can't do something or that you are not good enough or any of those things. So you are already coming in with a whole different perception. And I realized it did change the way I dealt with things. So in another conversation that I was having, um, and on another interview, when somebody asked me about my feeling about color and how I perceive things, I said for the first couple of years, when I was in a position where it was actually impacting me, I didn't recognize it initially as racism. I recognized it as you're an idiot. And I clearly need to deal with you from the point of you're being an idiot because clearly you're dumb.
0: Clearly, you're an <laughs> idiot.
1: <laughs> it took me a minute sometimes to realize, oh, my womanhood is a problem for you. Okay. My race is a problem problem for you. you. Okay. My immigrant status is a problem for you.
0: And my (laughs) intellect
1: is a problem for you. (laughs) So, and that takes me to the whole, and since we're on this color conversation, you know, there's a whole new topic now called code switching that's going on, how we change conversations. And I always say whenever I'm in a large group, because I speak at a lot of um, national conferences as well, so when I'm at a national conference, what always amazes me is when the people come up. More so, men than women. When because women sometimes are a little bit more subtle yes. in their foolishness, but they come with the foolishness. They
0: come with it, but they're a little more subtle.
1: But when the men come up and they are, um, and they think they're giving you a compliment, and they tell you about how, you know, how um, eloquent you are, and how well informed you are, and how poised, and all of those things, and your first instinct is, I'm just going to throw hands is the first thing. And then I realized you're an educator and you're going to use this as an opportunity to educate. So I accept the compliment because one of the things I understand is that they're operating from a point of, they really don't know. They They really really don't don't know.
0: know. Me, I just laugh. I I speak at a lot of events too. And I usually, when they start talking about that part of not my accolades in terms of my accomplishments, Accomplishments. in terms of things like how well I speak and foolishness like that nonsense like that yeah. and I just smile usually I just smile or I just laugh um because I figure you know what you just don't know
1: okay yeah.
0: if there's an idiot in the room it's not me yeah. <laughs> so I'm and not gonna worry too much about it and I too exactly, have faced that kind of exactly but all of that
1: Exactly. And but what I've learned over time is that some of these people have become people that I do business with. Some of these people are people that have asked me to come and speak at events that they have because they look at me and they think um, and it sounds really bad. But if you look at me and think that I am going to be the face of diversity and inclusion speaking at your event, then fine, I'll take it because I'm going to take whatever entree I can to push an agenda. I agree. So I do that. And while you're doing it, you talk about why you're doing certain kinds of things and the experiences that you have. And so you take the opportunity to educate people without being too much in their face about mm-hmm. it. And I think that sometimes is the difference between what you and I may do and what other people may do. Yeah. We're doing exactly the same thing. We're just a lot more subtle about it. And unfortunately, the others find our methodology more palatable. Than right. the in the face because yes. we have subtle discussions. I'm going to go to lunch with you, and we're going to have um, a glass of wine, and we're going to talk about the way I was raised and some and the differences in the cultures and why it is that they have to be aware of some of the cultural differences and what those things actually mean for them. And at the end of the day, we do get the message across. Right. But we get the message across without putting people's back up against yeah. the wall. Now, yeah. do I think that sometimes you need to flatten people against the wall? Yes.
0: Yes, you do. And there's sometimes a time you and place
1: need to for everything. Wall. There's a time and place for everything. But if you are the head of the organization and you have the ability and you have the ability to shift what happens in this organization, I do not want you fighting against me. Right. I want you to have bought into
0: right.
1: what it is I'm selling.
0: I, I want to control the narrative. It. Yes. I want to control yes. the narrative, is what it is. So let us get to the book mm-hmm. <laughs> before we run out of time here and talk about all kinds of other things. So in the book, you talk about steps and you talk about your first one being baby steps, really, mm-hmm. you know, talk a little bit about what you have in the book and what to
1: expect from the book. Okay. So the book,
0: yes. boss, lady. Uh,
1: Yes. So the book has, um, has, it started with only six chapters. That's where the book started. And so I start with, uh, as a teacher, I always tell people, you need to establish yourself as authority. I said when you walk into as you know when you walk into a classroom and you stand in front of a pair people or you walk in front of a podium and you stand in front of a group of people you have to establish yourself right. as authority. Yeah. Why is it that I need to listen to you? So in the first in the in the first chapter I talk about myself and my personal experiences which you connected right. quite a bit with and how I got to writing the book right. and why I thought writing the book was important and writing- why you should listen to me. <laughs> And why you should listen to me. Writing the book is important because um, I am tired of this women with crabs in a barrel syndrome. We need to stop. If we could just all get together and figure out the the, the value that each of us bring individually mm-hmm. and support each other individually, we'd, be, we'd, move, we'd move much further along. Better. But the minute one woman falls out of line, you know, you're not sinking with us and flying in path, we begin to have problems. So the goal of the book is for women to understand that you all need to be in control of your own life. Yes, you cannot control um, the wind, but you can control your sails. So things are always going to happen, but your mindset is really what is going to take you from point A to point B. When people ask, the first time somebody asked me, what was my mentorship model? I had a mini meltdown because I didn't have a model. And then I started talking and I said, oh, that's your model three questions. Where are you now? Mm -hmm. Where do you want to be? Is your current course of action taking you there? So that's what the book is really about. I take my mentorship model and I ask those three questions. First, I establish I'm the authority um, on this topic and here's why I'm the authority. Here's what I also understand. Everybody has to move at their pace everybody's journey is their yes. journey i do not yes. get to dictate what your journey is mm-hmm. and so for me this journey to the book and that's what i was trying to establish that the journey in the book i didn't just get up on and go oh i'm going to write a book i fought this tooth and nail fought it same i'm fighting the podcast apparently i'm going to lose that battle as well and i'm going to have to do a podcast okay then so i start i with think being- i'm losing that battle too i'm finally going to have to do it <laughs> i must have set up the equipment in the house last night i'm waving the white flag of defeat So I start with baby steps and I start with the beginning and I talk about, you know, um, a little bit more about who I am and and setting the framework. Then I talk about the steps that you, the woman, are actually going to take. And I call it the audit. It is where am I now? It's that's where we answer that question. You look at yourself personally and professionally. And here's what I explain to a woman. If you are choosing to be the CEO of your home, That is perfectly okay, but there's a journey that you're going to have to take. And just like the rest of us get to points in our career where we have to figure out where our career is going. When your children all move out the house, you have to figure out what you're going to do. What does that look like? So you have to create the life that you want to live and creating the life you want to live, be you in corporate America, or being an entrepreneur or being a stay-at-home mom, there's a journey and you have to craft that. And there are skills that are required for each. For each so else. I make you look at all the skill sets. What are the inherent skills that you come with? Because all of us come with skills. Uh-huh. What are those inherent skills that you come with? Okay, make sure you, you keep working, Um, keep um the ones that you're good at and the ones that you're not so good at, work on developing those. Mm-hmm. And there is, a, I give you a myriad of ways that you can work on developing those. Then I say, what are your functional skills? Um, Are you good at computer programming? What is it that you're good at? Um, if you decide you're going to be a stay-at-home mom, but you need to earn a little bit extra income, but you're good at gardening, maybe start a gardening blog, you know? So you can bring some revenue in that way. So we talk about the professional audit. And then I move into talking about things like your emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. mentorship, um, you know, mentoring other women, paying it forward, yes. all of those things. And so that's where the book ended because I thought, I've said what I had to say. And I did not want to create a, a tome i wanted to create something that was quick easy very very light and so i did that and i gave the book to the publisher in march and we were done and then we had a lockdown and we had to pivot right. and i watched women-owned businesses go up in smoke yeah. or blow up magnificently yeah. and i said what's the difference in these two women well the two women the women who blow up are the ones who stood back and said what's going on and let me pivot my business and so I began talking a lot last year about the pivot, And even for myself, I'm not certain what that pivot looks like, but women who were able to do the pivot really quickly. So- Yeah, under-
0: it, it, made, it made a difference. Um, a huge difference. Us, we're in production
1: mm-hmm. and
0: um, my husband and I, I'm a writer as you know, and uh, mm-hmm. we produce film and all of that. And for us, it meant we could no longer go out on the road and film stuff, you know, <laughs> like all our, all our shows shut down, everything mm-hmm. shut down. Yep. <laughs> Brand new movie plans, everything shut down. Yeah, So we had to pivot. So I started doing my show by Zoom. I started, I just blew up a whole new set of things. Exactly. New ways to do it. And in fact, the advent of Ari Times TV, (laughs) which is our, our baby, came out of that pivot. Yes. You know, you have to find the women who succeed are women who are flexible and quick.
1: Exactly. exactly, and 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 but, that yeah. is, and one of the things I talk about is that that's a natural talent with us it because is. we raise children. Um, to some extent, sometimes we're raising husbands. Um, then as your parents get older, you're raising them. We're
0: raising them too. So
1: particularly, I, I'm a Gen Xer. Women in our generation, we are the sandwich generation. We have children on one end, parents on the other, mm-hmm. and so and then you're a professional in the middle. So you're always managing and juggling all of those pieces. So women naturally did very well in this environment because women just went, okay, so how am I going to work this? Yeah, and just get, thought I mean, about it.
0: As we say in Jamaica, we take my hand. Ton, yeah, fashion. My fashion. exactly. Yeah, think really, women are amazing at juggling 10 different balls
1: and, and dropping only one. Exactly. <laughs> and then I ended the book on this kind of the way I started it, which is talking about race again. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I wrote the chapter was my son, when I was writing the book was, um, had just turned 18. When I was writing that chapter, I just turned 18. And Ahmad, uh, no, just turned 17. And Ahmad Aubrey had just been shot. Mm-hmm. And my son's a runner. He stopped running and we were in a pandemic. So he was literally stuck in the house. And I watched my son change. I watched I watched so many young people change. And and it was not good. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I had to do something. You know, this is he's he's a child of of violence because he was in a private school when the the um Stoneman Douglas shooting mm. took place and he was in lockdown and he made me do the march. Um and he is, you know, I tell people who are not of color. If you have not had that conversation with your 12 year old about the fact that the fact that he's a middle class um, uh, kid from Boca Raton is not going to save him not
0: going to save at him. all.
1: Because all people see is six foot, 182 pounds of black male. That's yes. all they see and who he is and the fact that he's a Christian and that he's soft spoken and he don't curse. None of those things are seen just that. And so I came full circle because as a boss lady, I'm also required to raise the next generation of men Mm -hmm. who are going to raise up and support their queen and their boss lady. So all of those things, you know, are, are part and parcel. Um, of who a boss lady is. And I'm so glad that you read the book and, and truly understood where I was coming from, that my job is not to pigeonhole any woman. Yeah, My job is to support her in her growth and figure out um, what, what can I do to help you? Um, so one of the things um, that really upsets me is when one woman tries to define what womanhood is. What womanhood so, is. Like women are a monolith. I must
0: say, I must say, though, that increasingly... And, and I don't know if it's because of my age. Mm. I'm ridiculously too close to 60 now. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm staring down the barrel. Mm-hmm. So, but I find that because of enlightenment, because of the age that we're in, because of technology and social media and all of that, I find that there are, there's so much more support that women are giving women. And I find that very, very um, comforting. Yes, So that we're at that place, especially women
1: of color, where we are supporting each other. And I think that's why you are seeing it. You're seeing it because we are part of a community. Mm -hmm. that is uh, first of all as as a group we're the most educated group of women in educated group period in this country women of color are the most educated because we had to be right and culture and you know i i said on a, um, a different you know discussion that i was having i said if you think about it when i came to school my my um grand aunt or great aunt said to me you're going to get a BS, not an MRS. So there's always been a focus on women of color being successful by yourself without anybody attaching themselves to you. Right. If you're from the East Asian or you're from the Chinese community, um, doctor, lawyer, engineer, those are basically the only professions that are open to you. Right. There, are, there are expectations of greatness and excellence. And we have risen to that occasion. And, and sometimes I think it's to the detriment of our family lives because um we have been put in this category up here and our men have not been raised up the same right. way and so there's a kind of inequity that's happening but yes to your point about us as women of a certain kind supporting each other we are and that's yeah. why my girlfriend said to me write the book about women of color because our struggles are different
0: yes getting as funding all, as only
1: we understand those struggles yes. they no can walk only. into a ba- they can walk into a bank and get a loan we cannot we can't <laughs> we can't and we are like, but her, um, her, her score is 680, mine is 680. I have more education than her. I don't, but she got the $2 million loan and I didn't. Can somebody explain to me what? It yes. Makes the difference. And we understand. And I mean, think about it. When we are, look at, think about any of us who are in a situation. Some of, in public, you're in a situation and you see people acting out and you immediately scan the room and look for the person that looked just like you. And the two of you connect your eyes and, and both of you just go, <laughs> no words are spoken, not one, but the two of you have already had an entire conversation about, we know how this is going to turn out, let's all just watch and see, and that's the thing, there's a, there's a history and a community that goes with this, um, that I'm hoping that we can move, not away from, but move, that move to a different narrative. And and I think we
0: will. And I think we will. Boy, Suzanne, I could sit here and talk to you all day, but I don't have all day. So we're going to have to wrap this up. But the book is Boss Ladyship. You have got to check it out. And again, it's not a book about being a boss of a company. It's about being a woman who owns yourself, who owns who you are, who defines who you are, and who realizes that you're a boss. We're the boss. Suzanne, thank you so very much for coming to Shelf Life. It has been fun. I have enjoyed the book. I enjoyed this conversation and we have to do it again when the next book writes because we know the next one coming, right?
1: (laughs) Or when I have the podcast or the course, I'll call you and we can have another talk. The podcast is Dr. Sue Speaks. It will be a pod, yes. Um, We've decided to do that, not boss ladyship. My producer said she thought it would be better if I branded myself, not the book. So we're going to do Dr. Sue Speaks. When that happens, I'll let you know.
0: Okay. Thank you so much. Blessings. Take care. Walk good. And as we say in Jamaica, good doppie walk with you. All right then, my love. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Blessings. Well, to all the boss ladies out there, big up. I hope you now see what it means to be a boss lady. And so I want to say thank you for joining me again on Shelf Life. I'll see you again next week, same place, same time for some more Shelf Life. And we get to see what else I have hanging out on my shelf walk good. Catch you next week. If you have yet subscribed to this podcast, please do so. You'll always know when new episodes are available. The video of this episode is available also on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel and check out my website at jfallonreed.com.